Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. The long robe would go down to the feet of the priest, but he wasn't the only one that wore long robes in that day. Dignitaries wore long robes, but they also wore a golden sash across their chest. So what this is really speaking of is not Jesus' priestly role, but his role as the ruler of the church. He is the dignitary that is owed all respect. He is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. In the New Testament, this pictures him. One scripture I'll give you is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Christ is the ruler of the church. Secondly, Jesus is the wisdom of the church. Look at the verse 14. Beginning says, his head in hair were white like wool and white as snow. Daniel again saw this vision of Christ of the Messiah and he sees the same white hair in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. In ancient culture, if somebody had white hair, like I'm starting to get, this is reassuring to me, that in ancient culture, the white hair indicated both dignity and accumulated wisdom from years of experience. The white hair speaks of wisdom. Christ is the wisdom of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 Paul spoke of this he said but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 the apostle Paul writes again of Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Christ is the wisdom of the church, and the church needs to understand that because the church today is going off course trying to gain wisdom from the world, and they're looking in all the wrong places in building their church. They're not seeking the Lord. They're not seeking God. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that God provides wisdom liberally if you just go to Him for it. I mean, how many of you in the midst of your trials, and that's what it's speaking of in James, in the midst of your trials, how many of you have ever gone to the Lord in wisdom? Or do you go to somebody else first? Do you make a phone call? Do you have this 911 guy that you always call, or this 911 girl that you always call because you just know that they're going to give you the right counsel? Well, the wisdom lies within Jesus Christ. Yes, it's easier to make a phone call than it is to seek the Lord. The church as a whole in America has disdained the wisdom of God. The church as a whole in America is looking towards the wisdom of the world, and you can Be sure of that by the decisions that they began to make. Christ is the wisdom of the church. But not only that, listen to this, Jesus knows the church. Jesus knows the church. Look what it says. 
His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. X-ray vision. <laughs> How many have seen Superman before? Man, when I was growing up, I thought, man, that'd be cool to look through walls and to just, I mean, the balcony to be able to see their eyes and know that they're sleeping up there. And <laughs> X-ray vision is true, but it's only true with God. His eyes that are aflame speak of his ability to know the heart. It speaks of his ability to know the heart. God doesn't look at appearance. He doesn't. He looks at the heart. We see this in 1 Samuel when Samuel was going to find the future king of Israel. In chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees our heart. That's an amazing thing. Jesus knows our hearts, and the proof of that is is going to be in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, when Jesus sees the heart of those seven churches. He knows the heart of the church. In the first one, Ephesus, they're going to be commended for their good works. They're going to be commended. If you looked at the church of Ephesus from an outward appearance, you would say, man, that is one church I want to be like. They're working in the community. They're doing a lot of social stuff out there. They're reaching people. They're holding steadfast to the doctrine. They're guarding the truth and everything else. And from all external appearances, you would say, that is a church that I want to be like. But Jesus sees the heart of the church, and he says, you have lost your first love you've lost your first love I mean to come to church friends if your heart isn't right Jesus knows that get it right with him get it right pure worship begins internally that's what I love about the song that Matt Redman wrote. He wrote, I'm returning to the heart of worship. And, and what they did, the worship became all about the instruments and all about everything else and the great voices. And they removed everything. And they sang for a few months without any instruments. The church would just gather and they would sing because it is about the heart of worship. It's internally. It isn't, it isn't all the music. That enhances it. But I got to tell you, if you're singing with your lips and your heart is messed up, Jesus knows it. He knows your heart. And yet he still invites us to come to him and to get it right. Jesus is the strength of the church. In verse 15, it says his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And what you see here in this image is that it emphasizes the glory and strength of Christ. The word for fine brass was actually a brass alloy of copper and zinc, and it was used by the Roman military because of its strength in that day. And what it's speaking of here is the strength that Jesus brings to the church. Feet were used as a way of life. In fact, they would use it commonly. You know, we sometimes say it in Christianity, are you walking with the Lord? What we mean by that is, are you living for the Lord? Are you making decisions for the Lord? 
That's what we mean by that. So the feet are speaking about also a way of life. It is Jesus that brings stability to the church. It is Jesus who brings stability to our way of life. You and I have clay feet. (laughs) You and I have clay feet. Our clay feet break, and we break so easy. Our clay feet will bring us down roads we shouldn't be going down. But it is Christ who brings strength to our walk. It is Christ who brings strength to the church. The next thing is Jesus is the authority of the church. Look at verse 15. Again, and it closes with, and his voice as of the sound of many waters. And I know that John probably sat on the seashore of Patmos at times and heard the crashing waves and probably thought of the voice of God many times because what it's speaking out of is the voice of Jesus should drown out every other voice in this world. It is not only speaking of his authoritative voice, but it is also speaking of him as God. Once again, listen to Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. That's what he's referring to more than anything. Jesus is God. Jesus controls the church. Verse 16 says, He had in his right hand seven stars. We know that the seven stars are the angels or the messengers. In verse 20, Jesus once again interprets what the stars are. And he says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're angelic beings. The word angel, sometimes used in Scripture, is used as a messenger. So what I really believe they're speaking to is the leadership of the church or the pastor of the church at that time, that they're the ones that are going to be delivering the message to their specific body in the seven churches, which speaks to you and I today. And that's what I believe it's speaking of. It's speaking of the seven stars that that Jesus holds the shepherds of the churches in his hand, and by that he controls them. And that, again, is a lesson for leadership. It speaks of Jesus' control over the church. It speaks of his direction that the church leadership is leading the church, that any church that is sitting in the hand of Jesus, their leadership is hearing from him. Jesus protects his church. The word used for sword in that verse is talking about a broad Thracian sword that was used in a Calvary charge. It's not the same sword that it's speaking of in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, speaking of the Word of God. This is speaking of a large double-edged sword that was used when the cavalry would charge in and they wanted to slay an army. This is speaking of the Lord's ultimate protection of His church through dealing with its enemies. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said this in verse 18, And also I say to you, Peter... On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here we are 2,000 years down the road where the church is still in existence. The church is still thriving. The church is still multiplying. I mean, there are people in China to the tune of 100,000 a day getting saved. That is mind-blowing to me. 
And we know that there's been attempts to stomp out Christ's church through the ages, and at different eras, it was more intense than others. But nevertheless, the attempt was still there by Satan to stop the church from bringing forth the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Jesus is going to take out his enemies, and that's why the martyrs in Revelation chapter 6 say, How long, O Lord, before you avenge our blood? How long, O Lord, that there is a sense of the day waiting when all of God's people who have been led like a lamb to slaughter shed their blood for the testimony of Christ where there is going to be justice. The same word for sword there is the same word in Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back to destroy all the enemies. In verse 15 of Revelation 19, it says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 21, the same word is used once again, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. An Alfred Hitchcock movie. So Jesus protects his church, and ultimately every enemy will be put down But Jesus also is the glory of the church. Look at verse 16. It says, And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. I like that. It just doesn't say his countenance was like the sun shining. He says that his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. How many have ever looked at the sun before? Gone out there and you looked at it. When you were a little kid, right, you used to play with your buddies on the school grounds and you would get out there and you would say, let's see who can stare at the sun longest. And you would double dare a man, look, and you would sit there and you would look at the sun like an idiot. And then you turn around and you can't see anything, huh, because it's so blinding. You're like looking at the sun and then where's your friend? And that's the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And that's what it is speaking of in this passage of Scripture, it is speaking of Christ's glory. Christ's glory. Christ's glory. He is the glory of the church. When the church loses the presence of Christ, the Shekinah glory leaves. You've seen a lunar eclipse before, right? How many know that the moon really doesn't have its own light? That it just reflects the light of the sun, right? just reflects it. But every now and then you get a lunar eclipse where the world moves in between the sun and the moon. And what does it do? It darkens the moon. It's the same way with Christians. When the world gets between you and Christ, you quit shining. Glory of the Lord isn't breaking through. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we're being transformed from glory to glory. So it is our duty to keep the world out of our hearts. It is our duty to keep the world at arm's length and to allow the glory of the Lord to shine through. So here it is. This is a vision that John has. I mean, this is one of the most descriptive visions of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. And here is his response in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
John fainted. He passed out. After capturing this glorious vision of Christ, after seeing him in all of his glory, it wasn't like, praise you, Jesus, all he did was pass out. Now, this was very different than what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. In Ananias and Sapphira, in Acts chapter 5, they really did die. <laughs> they were carried out. They were carried out. John says he fell as somebody like dead. He turned into Gumby, man, and he just melted. And so what you see here is the presence of the Lord in such a powerful way that that's all he could do. And you need to understand that the presence of Jesus is powerful. It's not a trivial thing. It's not a light thing to take when even we gather for corporate worship on Sunday mornings. We're praying in, in the room back here before service even starts. We're praying with the worship team. We're praying with other people. And we're praying that God's presence would be so powerful here. You can't drive to church and, and see his presence as something trivial. That's why I like the Welsh Revival. In the Welsh Revival, when God used Evan Roberts to usher in that revival, over 100,000 souls were saved in like a month. But one of the chief characteristics of that revival was when people would walk into church, they would fall on their face weeping over their sin. Nobody said anything. There was no worship team. There was no preaching of the word when people would fall. They would walk in and they said that the presence was so powerful of Christ in those places that all they can do is fall down and weep over their sin. Kind of like what Peter said when they were on the fishing boat, depart from me, Lord. I am an unholy man. The presence of God is taken so lightly today. And yet it is so important in the, the work of the church. Look at John's commission from Christ. That's verses 17 to 19. John falls over dead. And his commission is now going to take place on what he's supposed to write. But before that, he gets reassurance from Jesus. What does Jesus do? He lays his hand. He lays his right hand on, on John. Can you imagine that? That Jesus with his nail-pierced hand puts it on John. And he lays it on him as a sign of comfort that, John, you don't understand. Things are going to be okay. And it was also a sign of commissioning that, that the right hand spoke of power and authority it's, it spoke of power and authority in the Scriptures. That's why when Jesus held the seven stars in his right hand, it was speaking of his authoritative power that he controls the church. But here he takes his right hand. Why? Because there's a commissioning. Because in the biblical times when somebody was commissioned, you would lay hands on them. One example is 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 14, the apostle Paul reminds Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. In Acts chapter 13, the leadership calls Paul and Barnabas out and they lay hands on them. It was, it was a symbol of commissioning. It was, it was saying, I give you the authority to do this. And we do that sometimes at Christ Community Church when we launched Pastor John out. The elders came up and we laid hands on him and we commissioned him out into Mexicali to where all the good fish tacos are. 
I've asked him many times, will you trade places with me? And he won't do it. So he says, do not be afraid because John passed out for fear. And this isn't uncommon in Scripture. When there was a vision of the Lord or even an angel of the Lord, people would see him and they were frightening to them. They were frightening to them because the Lord would manifest in glory. And he says, do not be afraid. John would have heard these words many times from Jesus in his earthly ministry here. When John traveled with Jesus for three and a half years, Jesus said those words often. Those words, do not fear or do not be afraid or some form of that, is recorded in the Gospels over 25 times. So Jesus, John would have heard that from Jesus before. He would have seen him saying it to other people. And now he is the recipient. John, you do not have anything to fear. You're on this island of Patmos. You're in isolation. I am commissioning to you a most important work that's going to take place. And there's a good reason that John doesn't need to be afraid. And there's a good reason why we don't need to be afraid because of what Jesus says of himself. Look at his self-description beginning when he says, do not be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? He isn't just saying that history is balled up with him, but Jesus is actually taking on the title of God there. I get so sick of people in the Jewish roots movement that keep telling our people that Jesus never declared himself to be God. And they take Jesus and they say, yeah, he's the Messiah, but he was nothing but human. What does Jesus say there? He says, I'm the first and the last. Do you want to hear some scriptures to go with that? That speak of God? In his glory, Isaiah chapter 41, 4, here's God speaking. It says, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Isaiah chapter 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Isaiah 48, 12, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called, I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. This is God. And you know what it's speaking of in those contexts of Isaiah? Those verses refer to God as creator and sovereign or in control over all of history. And here you once again have Jesus declaring himself to be God. That is black and white, or if you have a red letter edition, that is red and white. Jesus is who he said he is. And some of you are getting turned upside down by a few people in a Jewish roots movement that say Jesus was not God. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus points back to his resurrection, back to his death, John was there at the cross when Jesus died. When the Roman spear was thrust into his side, he was also there at the empty tomb. Jesus is eternal. This is in direct contrast to the false gods and idols of that day who have no life in them. And the reason why you and I can have confidence today as being a Christian, even if we were to face death, you know what that gunman said in Oregon? He said to those Christians, when he called them out and said, what's your religion? When they declared to be a Christian, you know what his words were? He said, you're going to see God in one second. Do you realize that that was a true statement? That he made the minute they were shot, 
the minute they open their eyes in heaven in the presence of the Lord. And the reason why we don't, the reason why you and I do not have to worry about anything is that he who lives, who was dead, lives forevermore, that Jesus' resurrection is where we draw our life from today as a born-again believer. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.